to show you a picture of her. I don't know how many of you know the name Sarah Culberson, but let me tell you the story about her and how it ties into the book of Ephesians. Sarah Culberson was born to a mother from West Virginia and a father who was from Sierra Leone. She was put into foster care relatively early as an infant, and then she was adopted by uh, Jim and Judy Culberson and grew up in a very small town in West Virginia. Now, as you can imagine, her family that she was adopted by were a Caucasian family. Sarah was a biracial young woman, and so as she grew up, she learned, in, particularly in West Virginia, that she was quite different. And though she grew up in a very loving home, she loved her parents, she loved her two sisters, she always knew that she was a little bit different. Her sister's friends always kind of were interested in Sarah. They always wanted to touch her hair. They always knew she was a bit different. And that was fine when she was little, but as she got older, it was a little bit disconcerting. And while she loved her family and she had a great upbringing, she went away to school and came back, she always had a bit of a longing in her to know more of her story. And as she became of age, 18, 19, 20, she started to wonder a bit about her story. And she had a friend who was connected to some individuals who could help to do a little bit of exploration into her story. Now, my husband is adopted, and I don't know how many of you have an adoption story, but it takes a bit of courage to step forward when you're adopted to try to delve into your story, to figure out those parts of your story that you're not sure of. Well, Sarah started to get some rapid information right away. And one of the things that she found is that her mother, who had given birth to her, had passed away. But her father was yet alive. And it was wonderful that her father was alive. But what she did not know was that her father was not simply just a man in Sierra Leone. He was actually a tribal king in Sierra Leone. And so as they started to uh, cross paths and have a conversation, Sarah planned to have an opportunity for the first time to meet her birth father. And they met here stateside in the United States, and when they did, there was this kind of checking out one side of the other and looking at each other, and they weren't quite sure if they would accept one another. But upon looking at each other and recognizing how long they had been separated, they ran to each other and they could not uh, release each other from this solid embrace. And they spent time pouring over their stories. And Sarah had questions about why her father was not in her life and about her birth mother and the, the circumstances around her conception. Well, as they started to build this relationship, they decided that it was not simply enough for Sarah and her father to meet here stateside it was time for her to go back to Sierra Leone. And it was there that Sarah learned what she had never known, and that was that because of who her father was, Sarah was not just any ordinary girl. She was a princess of an entire tribe in Sierra Leone. And so the story of Sarah Culberson, now known around the world as Princess Sarah Culberson, is really quite extraordinary. Sarah had a wonderful upbringing. She loved her family but there was a piece missing. And as soon as she found out the story of this other piece missing, her perspective of who she was, the responsibility of what she had, the blessings that came with this new identity as princess, the responsibility of caring for now Sierra Leone, which is not necessarily a particularly wealthy uh, country in Africa, all of these things became enlivened to her. 
Brothers and sisters, Sarah Culberson's story is not that much different than ours. We too have been adopted. We've been adopted into this family of Christ. There was this initial family called the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. These individuals who had been chosen by God. And then there were those of us who scripture says were afar off, these Gentiles. And there was this meeting that happened because of Jesus Christ and what he did. There were two sides of a family that then became together, this Jews and Gentiles. And the glue of that was Jesus Christ and this commitment to Christ. And so we, as we talk about ourselves as a family, we're not simply a church family. We're not simply this, these individuals that go to this church or another church. We are a part of a worldwide family of brothers and sisters in Christ, people who look like us and people who look nothing like us, people who live in village areas and people who live in the hearts of cities, people who are different, but we come together around this shared passion for this one who was and is and is to come, Jesus Christ. Imagine Ephesus. As we talk about Ephesus, this, this place, as we look at the book of Ephesians, Ephesus was this huge city. It was this massive city, and it was the epicenter of worship for most of the gods of the Greek and Roman world. Now, these are actual ruins that you see as part of that picture. It was the primary port in the Mediterranean. And so you can imagine that because it was a seaport, you had all kind of individuals coming in and out to trade. You also had the Greeks and the Romans, very different cultures that were here together. And so it's almost like trying to start a church in Chicago or New York City or Los Angeles. Places of deep uh, transformation, places of real difference in terms of people. But everybody had come together around this shared reality that who they were in the natural was limited. And what they needed in their life, there was something missing. There was a part of the story that was missing. Like for Sarah Culberson, while she had great joy in what she had, there was a piece that was missing. Brothers and sisters, before we were accepted in Jesus Christ, there was a part of our story that was missing. And as a result of that, many of us were living dead in trespasses and in sins. We were living according to our natural ways, our natural laws, the ways that we were raised, the ways that we were taught. And many of us had wonderful family experiences, but I don't know about you, but there's a point at which when you hear the gospel preached, there's something missing. You hear the fullness of the gospel, or you hear about the miracles of the gospel, or you hear about the book of Acts, and you say, I want that. I want freedom in Christ. I want to know who I am behind, beyond my failures or beyond my family. I love my natural family, love my parents, most of the time love my siblings, but the reality is I am so grateful to be a part of a worldwide family, this family of God where I am stretched and where I am made better because my only identity is not a Williams or a Bunker, but a child of God. I get to be your sister. I get to be Aaron's sister. You get to be mine. And together, we have this new shared identity that doesn't push away our old identity. I'll forever be my parents' daughter. I'll forever be Joshua's wife. But beyond that, long after that girl passed away, I'm a child of God, a daughter of the king. I'm grafted in. I'm adopted. 
I'm heir to the, the seed of Abraham and heirs according to his promise. I have access to the throne of God. I've been forgiven. I have grace and mercy, and so do you. And that is the best news in the world. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who don't know that good news. And so we see people stumbling and bumbling along, hoping that their resources or their money or their name or where they live is enough. But how many of you know those things get to a point where they fall short? And so this place in Ephesus, it was this place where all of these people were converging together. For over two years, Paul had a very effective missionary presence in Ephesus through which many people came to Christ. And so as a part of Paul's missionary journey, we know that Ephesus was a place that we now know almost three solid years. Paul, in the midst of this place where many other things were worshipped, Paul dared, after being transformed and, tr and changed on the Damascus Road, set apart and sent out by God. He was then sent into these places throughout Asia. And this place we called Ephesus, which is now we would call modern-day Turkey. And in the midst of these idolatrous places, he set up spiritual shop and he preached the gospel all over Ephesus. And as a result of that, what the other idols and the other gods could not give, Jesus gave. And here we see the birth of a multi-ethnic church, a growing church that was constantly transformed. We know that it wasn't always easy for the Apostle Paul. We know that at some point after that time, he was imprisoned by the Romans. And years later, from prison, he writes this letter that we call the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul is called and known by many to be the Prince of Preachers. Many scholars credit Paul with writing 13 of the 27 books that make up what we call the New Testament, including this book we call Ephes this book on Ephesians. Paul, after he was uh, imprisoned, wrote this letter to, as he said, God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. More than an excellently written book, Ephesians is considered the most extraordinary of Paul's writings. And one of the things that scholars point out is that Paul is writing not to address church division, which you'll see in some of his other books, but he's really writing to exhort and encourage the church to bear witness to some of the primary elements of the Christian doctrine. Scholar and preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this of the book of Ephesians. The epistle of the Ephesians is a complete body of divinity. In the first chapter, you have the doctrines of the gospel. In the next, you have the experience of Christians. And before the epistle is finished, you have the precepts of the Christian faith. Whosoever would see Christianity in one treatise, let him read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the epistle to the Ephesians. So the Ephesians, out of all Paul's work, is widely known as the, the primary book it is the incredible book that Paul is not there to uh, correct people, but instead to lift people's eyes toward Jesus Christ. Ephesians is divided really in two clear halves. The first half of the book of Ephesians is really this gospel message. Paul's exploring the story of the gospel and how all of history came to its climax in Jesus and is now expanded 
and adopted and grafted together this multi-ethnic community of his followers. Guys, we were always meant to be a multi-ethnic global community. We were always meant to interact with each other. We were always meant to be family. From the foundation of the world, the creative genius who is God never saw us in terms of our ethnic backgrounds, but in terms of lost and found. We are not strangers, nor should we ever be comfortable in being strangers. Whoever has said yes to Jesus Christ, your primary identity is born again son or daughter of the Most High God. And as a result, you are to treat everyone else who has that same nameplate and that same identity. That is how you are to treat every other brother and sister in the world. We have no right to be fearing each other or us versus them language. If anything, the we is the saved, born again, grafted in children of God against the forces of darkness. We are family. And as a result, we need to hold close as family. And even when family has difficulty, as we know the churches did that Paul wrote to, he constantly called them back to their primary identity. Who are you? Who have I saved you to be? And who have I sent you into the world to be? So this is the story of Ephesians, this, these first couple of chapters, talking about being grafted together in this multi-ethnic community of followers. And then there is one word, which is therefore. And therefore is a pivotal word that then transitions the gospel from the king and the kingdom of God to the responsibility of followers of Jesus to boldly live in love, truth, and grace with one another in this world. That's chapters 4 through 6. So today, in this time that we have remaining, let's look at this portion of scripture coming from Ephesians chapter 1, just 10 verses, and let's read this and look at what Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance to his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him, not in ourselves, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven, on earth, under Christ. That's big. I don't know when you write a letter or type an email if you respond to people that way and say grace and peace and you know, all of those things. But here, from a prison, in shackles, probably hungry, here is Paul, 
one who once killed Christians, who is now a Christian sent to the Gentiles, who was one who launched a church in a massive city full of other idols, who is calling to the Ephesian church not to get their act together, but to turn their eyes toward him who was and is and is to come. He is calling them from every tribe and nation to walk together. Chapter 1 opens with this Jewish-style poem where Paul praises God the Father for all that he has chosen to do through Christ Jesus. If there is nothing else that you write down, write it down and remember that. Through Christ Jesus, everything that we have, our adoption, our identity, forgiveness, grace, it is all through Christ Jesus, through his sacrifice, through his suffering, through his obedience to his father, through what he did, we are to be free. And I preached that last time I was here, that we ought to be free indeed. We ought to be the freest people on the planet. We ought to be those who remove our shackles and look for others who are bound and say, wait, I got a key for that. Because Jesus took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Let me loose you from that root of rejection. Let me loose you from that spirit of fear. Let me unshackle you from that generational curse of alcoholism in your family. Let me give you the key to freedom who is Jesus Christ. We ought to be walking around with keys and with joy and freedom. We ought to be swinging our keys, looking for somebody who is shackled and saying, hold on, be still. Let me tell you the story of one who came at the very beginning called Genesis. And let's work our way all the way through Revelation and give people an opportunity to be so excited that they jump out of their own shackles. Some of us get so comfortable in shackles that we don't know what it is to move our feet and be free. That was me for a long time. I knew what it was to be bound, but I didn't know what it was to truly be free. I knew religion. I didn't know salvation. Anyone with me? I knew religion. I did not know salvation. That is part of the reason why Jesus Christ came, because the Jews knew religion. They didn't know salvation. It's part of the reason why the Sadducees and the Pharisees and others hated Jesus, because he didn't fit the prescription of what they thought he was to be. They knew religion, and they knew law, but they didn't know freedom. Sometimes freedom makes us scared. But the word of God tells us in Romans that freedom, we have not been freed so that we can operate in sin. We've been freed so that we can share that with others. And so in this beautiful litany in this story, we hear that how until the present time, God has chosen to bless a covenant people, the Jewish nation of the children of Abraham. We see that laid out in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. And now through the sacrifice of Jesus, we, all others, Gentiles have been invited into this family like Sarah was invited into this family, like others have been adopted into family with all of the blessings and the rights of the chosen. We're adopted, we're forgiven, and we've received grace to enter into the presence of God and live for him. A key verse that I want to give you is verse 10, that all of this that has happened all of the praise and the glory, all that we have received in him is for one holy purpose. Verse 10, to put into effect when times reach their fulfillment, when Jesus Christ returns, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. 
If you read Colossians chapter 1, you will see and be reminded at verse 15 who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. And scripture says all things hold together through Christ. Right now we see the world unraveling and falling apart. But in the culmination when Jesus Christ returns, when he stands up off of his throne and comes back, all things that have been created by him and for him, and all of us who have lived for him and put away our works of darkness, we shall all be united. The heavenly realms will no longer be separate from the earthly realms, but together we shall worship God in spirit and in truth. That is the ultimate passion, that when all things reach their fulfillment, we will all be one. And this was God's great restoration plan since the fall of Adam to restore a people uniquely for himself, one huge family united under the Messiah. We begin to see this unification work played out in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. Do you all remember it? Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 12, it says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't those all who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? And then we know Peter, the one that denied Jesus three times, who had been filled with the Holy Spirit, stood up and said, these men are not drunk as you suppose, but they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And isn't it amazing that Jesus allowed all of those different groups of people to hear one message? the holiness of God, the glory of God. People got stuck in the natural. And Peter said, stop looking at the natural and hear the message coming to all people far and away that God is who he is, that Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit have come to set us free, to make us one family in God and under heaven. The beauty of this portion of scripture is that it also points out the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we are Trinitarians. We believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three in one, the same God, but each having a unique attribute. Here we see God the Father, the source or origin of every blessing which we enjoy. His initiative is set forth plainly, for he himself is the subject of almost every main verb in these verses. It is he who has blessed us. It is he who has chosen us. It is he who has destined us. It is he who has freely bestowed on us grace. It is he who has given us all of these things to enjoy. In other words, we do not serve a sky daddy who is crossing his arms, looking down on us in anger. We serve a loving God. In fact, the only God known in the actual religious world who actually can be known, actually is expressed as loving, 
and actually allowed himself through his son Jesus to step out of his celestial throne in order to be closer to the creation that he made. God does not want us to think that we are estranged from him, but he went all the way to the trouble through blood of bulls and goats and, and other kinds of ways of reclaiming our people. It was only through the sacrifice of one lamb that we today can walk in our freedom. And sometimes I don't think that we get it. And that is why I'm giving you this foundation because not only is context everything, but the love of God and the grace that we have been given is everything, dear friends. So he has made to us known his purpose and he has set it forth in, from the beginning. In the 14 verses of Ephesians, the first 14, Jesus Christ is mentioned either by name or by title. Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the beloved, or the pronoun or the progressive of he or him, no fewer than, as we said, 15 times. At one time he was Jesus of Nazareth. He is now Jesus the Christ. Do you know what Christ means? The anointed one and his anointing. Jesus, the anointed one and his anointing came, what? To destroy the works of the devil. To say, seek and save those who are lost. To give us an inheritance. Jesus is not simply the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. He is our friend and he calls us not only friend but brother. So we have this understanding of God, the source of origin of blessing, Jesus, the anointed one who came to destroy yokes. And Paul, who here stresses that the blessings of God given to us are spiritual. Here, the blessings that we have, while God oftentimes delights to give us physical blessings, the greater blessing that we have is spiritual. The life that we will live on this earth is incredibly short. Eternity is forever which is why we must be ambassadors to go and to tell others that this life is short, but eternity is long, and you want to spend it in a place where there will be, as Revelation says, no more weeping, no more crying, no more sickness, no more death, no more gun violence, no more of that, but our pleasure will be to worship the king forever. All of us, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, all of us who said yes. All who said yes, many of you know that saying yes oftentimes comes with a wait. Started this message by telling you about Sarah Culberson and the reality that she is now a princess. The reality is that there are people in Sierra Leone who are incredibly poor. Incredibly poor. And Sarah Culberson did not necessarily inherit a bunch of wealth. But what she has inherited is an opportunity to now serve bless, encourage, and love the people of Sierra Leone. As a result, she started a nonprofit. She's building schools. There is clean drinking water in remote places for the first time. People are being freed and saved in the natural because of the work of Sarah Culberson. How much more do we, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, princes and, and princesses, Kings and queens in our own right, we have been given a responsibility to represent our Father, 
to go into the world, to preach the gospel, to build wells, to give people water that will never run dry, to remember who we are, to extend grace, to take out our keys, to unlock people who are in bondage, to preach the good news that our liberator has come, that we serve a personal God, not a sky daddy, and that he loves us, knows us, and wants to draw near to us. And not just us, we didn't get just saved for us, but that the rest of the world may know. So as the band prepares to come back up, I want us to think about these important things that we've talked about today, this sense of identity. Two key words that you'll hear repeated in this first part of Ephesians is in him, because of God, and in and through Christ, we have this new identity. And so as they begin to play, I want you just to close your eyes, and I want you just to think a little bit about what it means. What does it mean to have your natural inheritance and blessings? But what does it mean all the more to know? And I want you to know it, to know that you have an inheritance that is far greater than gold, an inheritance that was given to you by the blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of the lamb, the lamb that was slain for the sins of the whole world, that you don't have to be beholden to the brokenness of your past, that while the word of God says we were once dead in trespasses and sins, scripture also says we were once strangers and foreigners, we are now grafted in, we belong. Brother, sister, you belong. You belong to God. You belong to the kingdom. And maybe there's someone in here who has never known that kind of freedom. You've never known what it is to surrender all to Jesus. Maybe like me, you knew religion. You knew your natural identity. But you didn't know identity and freedom in Jesus. No one ever came and gave you some keys and unlocked it. No one ever taught you that you could have joy and that this was real. No one ever gave you a context for your freedom. But I ask today if there's anyone in this room that does not know Jesus or has walked away from Jesus is struggling, I ask you to, remind, to be reminded that he loves you and wants you to be free. And so, Lord God, I pray today for anyone in this room who feels afar off, who feels safer in the natural than in the spiritual, who maybe still feels the, the, the knowledge of the shackles that they wear. Maybe there are people here who are free, Lord God, but they still don't believe that that freedom really is what they've been given, or maybe they just don't understand the fullness of it. But today, here at the Highlands, Lord, we open our hearts and our hands because of Jesus, through Jesus, because of Jesus, we have been given freedom to be one global, multi-ethnic, swelling, spirit-filled church. Not who lives in fear, but in great faith. And so God, I pray for us today that we would step forward with a deeper knowledge of who you've called us to be. Knowing that we've been grafted in, set apart, and set free. That we are now one family with Jews and Gentiles all around the world. But because of Jesus, our identity has been made new. Like Sarah, we have a deeper story. May we receive it today, God. 
and celebrate it today, God, and receive it as we go out of here, God, and walk in power and freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.